All right, you may be seated. Get turned on here. Testing, testing one. All right. Well, good morning. Let me start. I know I shared last week, but just to say again, thank you uh, to my church family uh, for all of your prayers and support over the last couple of weeks. Speaking on behalf of Mandy and I, it definitely has meant a lot. And so we love you guys and thankful that we can share life together as we walk uh, through this journey by the grace of God. So let's turn uh, in our Bibles back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13 is where we will be this morning as we continue uh, our series in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of the Suffering Servant. Mark chapter 9, 1 through 13. And we'll be looking at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ today. Transfiguration of Jesus Christ. You know, in preparation for this sermon, uh, the handling of the Word of God is a very fearful thing. It's a very serious thing. Uh, and this is a, it's a difficult passage. And I've had to, to wrestle through it. It made me think about, uh, as a little boy, uh, learning how to swim, Pastor Jim. And I'll never forget, you know, you go through those lessons and then they stick you up on that diving board. And you got to jump in. And by the grace of God, you make it to the side. <laughs> or somebody jumps in and helps you. And, you know, I thought about that in, in preaching and sometimes there are passages that are the deep waters. And by the grace of God, you work through it and you hope you come out uh, on the other end and that God uh, has been glorified. That is surely uh, my aim uh, today. So let's read the passage, Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, and then we'll pray together. Starting in verse 1. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth should bleach them or could bleach them and there appeared to them elijah with moses and they were talking with jesus and peter said to jesus rabbi it is good that we are here let us make three tents one for you one for moses and one for elijah for he did not know what to say for they were terrified and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, 
Elijah does come first to restore all things. How is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for this beautiful Lord's Day. God, in your grace and your kindness and your mercy, you've blessed us with. God, you've allowed us to gather together as a family, a family in Christ today. We're thankful, God. We're thankful for your word. We know that your word is truth. We're thankful that your word accomplishes, God, what you set it out to accomplish. God, we're, we're thankful this morning that you're a God that saves, that you're a God that rescues. And so, Father, this morning, you know the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl that's here this morning. You know what they stand in need of. There may be one today that is still lost in sin, still dead in sin. And, Father, they need the gift of salvation. God, would you open up their eyes today to see Christ? And they would cry out to you in repentance and faith. And then, Father, for those of us that are in the faith this morning, by your grace, we're in constant need of cleansing, sanctification, confessing of sin, repenting, and trusting. So, God, do that heart work in each of us for the glory of your name and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. So, our goal today is to hopefully understand what the kingdom of God is, how does the kingdom of God come with power, and what is this significance of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ? Now, we're not going to unpack everything today. I'll go ahead and tell you that on the front end. Uh, we'll pick back up uh, next week, Lord willing. So before we jump into Mark 9, 1, which is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, let me give you just a, a brief quick recap of the gospel of Mark. Mark 1.1. 1, 1. You don't have to turn there, but this gospel start, starts off with, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the good news. This is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then in Mark 1.14 and 15, it goes on to talk about the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus exhorts the people there to repent and to believe in the gospel. You see, without the gospel this morning, there is no kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is central to the understanding of the kingdom. It's his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his second coming. And as Pastor Jim reminded us last week from John chapter 3, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, what has to happen? Does anybody remember? You must be. You got to be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born from above. You have to be born of God. There has to be repentance, a turning from sin, and a trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Now, we have seen 
as we have walked through Mark, Jesus is indeed the Son of Man. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He has He has shown himself to be the Messiah of his power over diseases, his power over deformities. He sealed the lame, paralytic. He's caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He has power over the demons. Remember Mark chapter 5? The man that lived in the graveyard who had the legion of demons and how they had to bow to King Jesus. Do you remember Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood? I believe that was Mark chapter 6 or may have been Mark 5 as well. And how the woman with the issue of blood, just the faith that she had, if I just touched the hem of his garment... The 12 years of suffering, the blood disorder that she had, that she would be healed. And sure enough, she was healed. And then Jairus' daughter who had died, Jesus went there and he resurrected this little one from death. And I could go on and on. How about Jesus walking on water? How about Jesus calming the sea? These were all things that only God himself could do. You see, when we think about the kingdom of God, it is about Christ, the Messiah. And then in Mark 8, we, re re we, we reached this climactic moment where Jesus is asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And some said Elijah, some said a great pro prophet. But do you remember what Peter said? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so in that moment, by God's grace, through the work of the Spirit, Peter had the right understanding of who Christ was. And so for these disciples, in their mind, when they thought about the kingdom, they were thinking a physical kingdom was about to be ushered in. The Romans were going to be overthrown. There was going to be peace and there was going to be prosperity and Jesus was going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And they, they had aspirations, Robert. They had discussions. Who's going to sit on his right hand? Who's going to sit on his left? Maybe it'll be me. And all these things were going on. And then Jesus bursted their little bubble. That before this ruling and reigning that they were thinking about, there was the cross. There was suffering. There was Mark 8, 31 through 34, that Jesus was going to be rejected by the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders of the Jews. He was going to suffer greatly and he ultimately was going to die. And then three days later, by the way, Resurrection Sunday's coming, isn't it? A couple more weeks, he was going to rise again. The disciples did not understand this. They were dumbfounded. It just didn't click in their mind. So much so, do you remember what Peter did? Hey, Jesus, we need to have a little talk. That's not how it's going to go down. I mean, again, remember that? We talked about how absurd that is. Peter is going to rebuke Jesus. And we know the story that Jesus rebuked Peter. 
he had to set him straight. And then the last time that I preached, it was the gospel call, wasn't it? If you want to be a part of the kingdom, Jesus says, come to me. Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. You see, to follow Jesus is to die to yourself. It is a life of suffering, hardship, and affliction for the furtherance of the gospel. So do we just throw our hands up in the air? Well, if that's what it is, God, I'm out. By the grace of God, no, we don't. We turn our eyes to Jesus, and by faith, we follow and we trust him. But now as you come to chapter 9 again, and you look at the end of 8, verse 38, let me make one quick comment here and then we'll move forward. Jesus finished Mark 8 by saying, Whosoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, and he's talking about that first generation there of the adultery and the sinfulness of the Jewish people of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels are you ashamed of Jesus this morning you know, looked up that word ashamed it means to be embarrassed over the actions the character of someone or to feel guilt Honestly, guys, the only person we should be ashamed of this morning is ourselves. We should be ashamed of our sin. Take a moment right now. Think about your own heart. We should be ashamed. We are guilty. We are wicked. Sinners, and we deserve God's wrath and judgment. But thankfully, God is gracious. God is kind. God is merciful. And God is loving. And he saves dirty, rotten sinners like us. So this morning, if you're not ashamed of yourself and your sin... I hope and pray by the grace of God that happens in your heart today. Because when you see your sin for what it is, then you can see your need for a Savior to be rescued by Jesus Christ. Because He's the only one that can save us. May we not be ashamed of Christ. And so now, we come to Mark 9.1 in this passage of the Transfiguration. I want you to think about the disciples. Peter saying, you are the Christ. And, and they're thinking of this kingdom to come in. And, and then Jesus hits them right between the eyes. That first there was going to be suffering and death. And that they were going to have to die to themselves. And as he talked about bearing their cross, they would have understood of what the cross was. Of this form of execution that the Romans used. I'm sure they were overwhelmed. 
and they probably didn't know what to think. And they were going to need some encouragement. They were going to need some strengthening of, okay, Jesus, we kind of had this in mind. You're telling us something else. We don't quite get it. It's kind of fuzzy. And the transfiguration was Jesus manifesting himself, his power, his glory, that it's going to be all right. I am who I say that I am. You, you've seen my power. You've seen my authority over nature, over disease and all these things of my actions. But now you're going to get just a little glimpse of my glory, of who I am, not just what I do. And so Mark 9.1 is a bridge of Jesus's identity as the Messiah and this transfiguration that's going to happen in six days. And now we enter those deep waters that I mentioned to you. You know, as I studied this passage, uh, there are godly men that I very much respect that I, I study and try to glean as I'm working through the passage myself. And they have different interpretations of Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Very highly respected godly men. Let me say this on the front end. There's only one right biblical interpretation. God meant what he meant. There's only one right interpretation. But I think we also have to admit this morning, in our finiteness, we don't always come to that one right interpretation. It takes a lifetime of studying, a lifetime of reliance upon the Spirit, a, a lifetime of just going before the Lord and wrestling through a text. So my goal this morning is to rightly divide the word, to give a brief summary of some of these positions, and to land the plane where I feel like it most honors the Lord. If you want to have further conversations with me after the service, we can have those conversations. But this is about the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. So here's the context, Mark 9, 1. Look back at the text. I know that was a long introduction, but here we go. He said to them, who's speaking? Jesus. Who's he speaking to? Well, if you go back to verse 34, it said he called the crowd to himself with his disciples. So the context here, he's speaking to the disciples, but there were also other people that were gathered around. We don't know how many, but they were. He starts off with the common phrase there in verse 1. Truly, I say unto you. Basically, that means I'm about to give you some truth. Jesus is about to lay it out there. Then what does he say? There are some standing here. So, right there. What does the pronoun some mean? Well, here's a little English lesson. It means more than one person or thing. It could be two. It could be three. It could be a hundred. It's the word some. What does the word here mean? A position relatively near the speaker. So he's speaking to the people that were right there. What does he say? He says, who will not taste death. When you look that up, it's very simple. They will not partake of or they will not experience death. 
until now we got a conjunction a little more english there's this conjunction until what a conjunction is something that introduces a condition that must occur before another action or event can occur what is the other action event that must occur before some of the these people die well what does it say until they see the kingdom of god after it has come with power till they see what does seeing mean till they've seen it they've experienced it this kingdom of god coming with power that's the context that's who he's talking to the some that were right there some of them were not going to die until they saw the kingdom of god coming in power so then you should be asking yourself as good bible students what is the kingdom of god well let me tell you there's a lot there <laughs> that's pretty much the whole bible <laughs> the kingdom of god the greek word is Bethsaida, which means there's lots of different meanings an area a district ruled by a king an empire the kings of the old testament like david and solomon right they had their areas of rule. Who is the king of kings? It's God. What does he rule over? He rules over all of creation, all of humanity. Psalms 115.3. God sits on his throne and he does as he pleases. So, I mean, part of thinking about the kingdom, it's all God's. All of this is God's. Everything belongs to the Lord. Okay, I think that's just laying a foundation for the Jews. They were anticipating the restoration of David's throne. I mean, we can go to 2 Samuel 7, but we've been there many times. The coming of God to renew the world, the new heavens, the new earth. Mark 1.15, I referenced earlier. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God was at hand. Here comes Christ. The kingdom of God, it's here. It's near. It's right before your eyes. It's me, is what Jesus is saying. He begins his public ministry. Matthew 3.13, John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus is coming with the winnowing fork in his hand. That was a tool that was used to separate the true wheat from the chaff. Jesus was coming to save a people for himself. Everything that we prayed for earlier, Doug. He was purifying a people for himself. And he was coming in judgment. Judgment upon the Jews for their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah and ultimately judgment of humanity of rejecting christ as king in the gospels we think about the kingdom it's the person it's the work it's the ministry of jesus the whole of jesus's miraculous activity what was the point yes there was benefit for people but you got to understand guys the miracles it was greater than just somebody being healed like we get so focused on let's put my own self in the eye we get so focused on we want to see this person healed and praise God for that. But these miracles, it was something bigger. It was the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Jesus as the Messiah. I think that was the first, Doug, poking my own self in the eye while I was preaching. Yet, we understand that even though the kingdom has come, the kingdom is still to come. Before Jesus was going to receive everything, a people for himself, 
he had to give up everything, which was the cross. Isaiah 53, he was numbered with the transgressors. Christ came to die to save his people from their sin. And then one day we know all of his enemies put under his feet the footstool and we could go there. The kingdom would ultimately embrace all nations. It would fill all the ages until the end of the world comes. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 that Pastor Jim read earlier. Jesus, by the way, is a fulfillment of this passage. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. God's word says this, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That's a reference to the Messiah. Ultimately, it's a reference to Jesus. He came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and he was presented before him. And then look at what verse 14 says. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. You see, the kingdom of God, this kingdom of Jesus, includes every tribe, tongue, and nation. Pastor Jim, that's why we do missions. It's going to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Christ saving his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I won't even go to Revelation 5 because I've been there a hundred times before. So the first century was this ushering in of the kingdom. The church is a vital part of that. But the mission's not complete. It continues on today. The kingdom of God is not simply the church, but the church is living out the kingdom because Jesus is not only the king, the head of the church, the book of Ephesians, Jesus is the king, the head of the universe, the book of Colossians. So here's the application before we move on. And there's a lot more that could be said, okay? That's just a brief summary of the kingdom. Where the kingdom of God prevails, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word, the work of the spirit, individual lives will be transformed by the power of Christ. We are set free from the penalty of sin. We're set free from the power of sin. But the kingdom of God also transforms communities. Old patterns of life are changed. Think about the curse of demons. And when Jesus set that man free in Mark 5, you guys remember what he began to do? He was changed individually, but then he began to proclaim the gospel. And that whole region of Decapolis, when you read on in the gospel of Mark, it was transformed. Callie, I thought about you in Africa. When a witch doctor in Africa is transformed by the gospel, the power of Christ, what happens in that community? Everything changes. So as Greg and Kilby are already serving there, and the word of God is going forth, marriages are changed. The education system is changed. Everything changes. Let me specifically talk to the young people. This is why we need Christians in our education system. This is why we need Christians in our health care system. This is why we need Christians in our government. The gospel, the kingdom of Christ, yes, 
it transforms individuals, but it is meant to transform the world. It's the truth, the love, the grace, the power of Christ. And that is the problem in America. We don't want the gospel anymore. And the further away you move from the gospel, the further you move into destruction. And the worst thing that could happen is for God to give us up over to ourselves like Romans 1. It's the path of destruction. So do we just throw up our hands and quit? Absolutely not. We pick up our cross daily. We follow Jesus. We deny ourselves. And we live out the gospel. That's the kingdom. You want to see revival break out in America? It's not some emotional experience. It's men, women, boys and girls daily living out the gospel. It's men of God preaching the gospel from the pulpits across America. It's God's people praying fervently and earnestly for God to do what only He can do. That's the way that revival happens. And at the end of the day, it's still a work of God. It's God choosing to do what He chooses to do, but He does it through His means of grace. Back to Mark 9, verse 1. So we looked at the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So you've got, again, this word here, this conjunction after. It, it's, it means moving to a reference point or a condition with power. Power is uh, dynamis, the ability to perform an activity. Well, who has all power? God does. God's power brings about his kingdom. Now, here comes the heart of the interpretation. There were some that were standing there in that first century context with Jesus that were going to see the kingdom of God coming with power before their death. So what in the world does that mean? I told you I was going to give you a summary of positions that godly men hold and then we'll land the plane. Now, I would say what it's not. It can't be simply the second coming of Jesus at the end because everybody would have been dead by then because we haven't seen the consummation of the second coming of Christ. And so none of those people there in that context are alive. They, they died, okay? Now, the sum. Look at Mark 9, 2, and 3. Here's one, I think, valid interpretation. This coming with power. Verse 2, it says, After six days, and we're going to unpack this more next week. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. For Peter, James, and John, you know, we read that passage, they saw something that hadn't been seen before. They got a glimpse of the glory, the power, the majesty, the white hot holiness of Jesus. 
He takes away the veil and they are in the presence of majesty. It's really hard to wrap our little brains around this transfiguration. But to some extent, they got a little glimpse of the kingdom of God and the power to come. And so some believe when he's talking about some were not going to experience death, it's talking about Peter, James, and John got a little glimpse of this kingdom of God, this power of God to come. Okay? Second Peter chapter 1, 16 through 18. Read that. Well, let's go there. I know our time's getting away from us. But just so you can see a cross-reference of that particular position, 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 18, Peter actually references this transfiguration. He says this, 2 Peter 1, verse 16, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son, which again, we'll unpack that more next time, with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's referring, guys, to the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay? There's a lot more that can be said, but we're going to move on. Go back to Mark 9, verse 1. That kingdom of God coming in power. Some believe it's a reference to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're going to celebrate here in two weeks, the Resurrection Sunday. There were over 500 witnesses. We don't have time, but you can go to 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, was the resurrection the kingdom of God and the power of God being manifested? I would say, well, yes, it was. I mean, it's definitely one of those layers. I mean, the resurrection is central of utmost importance when we think about the kingdom of God. And so some hold to that. The kingdom of God coming in power on the day of Pentecost. Pastor Doug preached through the book of Acts, so I'm not going to go back through that. But you can go to Acts chapter 2. You know, after the resurrection, 50 days later, you know, Christ has ascended. The Holy Spirit comes upon his disciples. And, for now, and now, every born-again believer in Christ, they are filled, empowered with the Spirit of God. That was a mighty move of God. That's the kingdom of God. That's the power of God. The gospel was now going forth. As Christ empowered his people, the spirit upon them. Another interpretation is the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Romans in 70 AD. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 13 too? All these stones that you see here, there's not going to be one left. It's going to be completely destroyed. And guys, in 70 AD, the Romans completely destroyed Jerusalem, completely destroyed the temple. Millions of Jews lost their life. And it really was a, a distinctive moment. Christ had come 
to fulfill the old covenant. And these Jews were holding on to the old covenant. They were holding on to their own traditions and things. But after that, it's gone. There's no more place to make the sacrifices. There was no need for the sacrifices because Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice of sin. But they had missed it. They had rejected their Messiah. And so in that moment in time, you see the power of God. You see the kingdom of God. You see the judgment of God. The Christian church was finally understood as distinct from Judaism. It was a defining moment. Now, let me land the plane. You may now be asking, well, which one is right, Pastor Eric? I don't know which one that I lean towards, but at the end of the day, guys, does it really matter what I think? It really doesn't. What matters is the truth of God's Word. All of these events are mighty acts of God, the kingdom of God coming in power. God's kingdom and his dominion being established. This really is kind of a second level issue. It's important. We definitely study God's word and we wrestle through these things. But at the end of the day, Jesus was giving Peter, James, and John a glimpse of his glory to encourage them, to strengthen them, to prepare them for this last year of the public ministry of Christ and then his death his resurrection, and ultimately for the furtherance of the gospel. So here's the takeaway, I believe, for us. The furtherance of the gospel is not easy. It is filled with trials. It's filled with tribulations, afflictions, and hardships. And for me, I'm thankful to be a part of a church that's about the gospel. It's about the furtherance of God's kingdom. Right, We can have those conversations and we can wrestle through those things, but that at the end of the day, what is of utmost importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with every breath that we have, we are going to proclaim the love and truth of Christ. Amen? Let's all stand and let's close in prayer. And then we will worship our God through song. Father, you know my heart today, as finite as I am, as limited as I am, God, is to honor and to glorify you of the truth of your word. Father, I I think I speak for all of us. We are so thankful today that you're the king and that you have and you are And you will continue to establish your kingdom. God, thank you that by your grace, we can be your people. We can be rescued from our sin. And just as you were encouraging Peter, James, and John in that particular text... 
Father, I pray that you would encourage your people this week. Probably also speak for all of us. There are times and moments in the suffering and the affliction and the hardships. We get discouraged. We get depressed. We may even want to give up. So God, we need you to carry us through. We need your grace to sustain us. And so I pray that this particular passage would be an encouragement to our hearts this week, that Jesus, you are who you say you are. We can take it to the bank. We can rest and trust in you as our good God, as our Savior, as our Lord. So Father, now as we sing and as we worship, be glorified. It's in your name that we pray together. Amen. Let's remain standing and we'll worship the Lord through song.